Namaste and welcome to 11.11 with me, Kirsty Olive. So welcome, Susie, and thank you so much for joining. I can't even put into words how looking forward I've been doing this episode. Like, I've obviously interviewed a lot of people in the past, but I think because I've seen so much of your journey and yeah. I am just constantly like blown away by you and in awe of your journey and how far you've come. And there's so many things that I've been dying to ask you for a while, but I've been thinking like, don't ask her questions, save it for the podcast episode. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know in advance, I have tons of questions on all sorts of stuff <laughs> that I've been waiting a long time to ask and to talk to you about. Ask away. Yay. So for those who are <laughs> listening, this is Susie Rowlands. We first met when Susie joined one of my programs a long time ago. And since then, we have been in contact and I've been following Susie's journey and I'm going to let Susie introduce herself a little bit and tell you a little bit about her story before we dive into asking loads of questions. <laughs> okay, introduce myself. So um, yes, I, I, I think you kind of, I came, you, we, I joined one of your courses, I think one of your containers I want to say in around about March or the spring of 2021, I think I was probably at my rawest then. I'd just been for only se several months really out of extricating myself from a very high control, high demand religion. That had been my whole existence um, that had led to a layer upon layer of ill health um, cancer, narcolepsy, you know, that's an autoimmune disease, chronic depression, anxiety, all of it. <laughs> um, and so it was a, it's been very much a journey of, um, well, it's been a journey. <laughs> and it's been, I, I liken it to the marathon all the time, because it's, it's definitely a marathon coming out of something like that, rather than a sprint. <laughs> I actually got, when you said marathon there, I actually got like a little shiver and goosebumps because I just, oh, it's so exciting to me that you just did that. Like, yeah, I oh, can't actually believe I just did that. <laughs> like, to think that only a year and a half ago, you were chatting to me saying that you just wanted to have like a normal life but that you couldn't do much because of your narcolepsy. And within a year and a half, you're running a marathon. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a lifelong dream. And running was something that I really excelled in in school. Um, but because of the religion, kind of extracurricular activities are off the cards. You just don't go there. Um, higher education is another thing. You, it's just not done. Um, and so... It was running was a, a wonderful thing for me in school. It was the, probably the one thing that I enjoyed. School was was a deeply unpleasant experience. Um, and so, so yeah, it's just coming back a, a year ago. Right now, a year ago, I couldn't even run 5K. And I think it's been a, a phenomenal thing for me in seeing that through and seeing the resilience built physically along with the <laughs> sorry 
along with the emotional journey and it's it, it is a journey <laughs> oh my goodness honestly Susie like when I saw you posting and sharing that you were training for a marathon I was like oh my god where is that like small little contained Susie with narcolepsy <laughs> who like was worried about not even being able to have a normal life and now yeah. she's off like openly putting it out there and taking on something that <laughs> like even a lot of healthy people like who don't have an autoimmune disease or narcolepsy can do i definitely yeah. couldn't run a marathon like <laughs> maybe uh, i train but right now i definitely couldn't anyway I think we all have a marathon in, in us. If we have a semblance of health, we all have it in us. And I think, um, yeah, it's just been a very powerful thing because I think one of the things I, I learned very early on in in your container actually was how important um, movement was in in shifting and clearing and working through everything. And so I think the movement, the kind of the um, the running has been very very powerful for me. And I've 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 released a shit ton. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, I just did. <laughs> I released a lot through running, and I would often just be. I don't know what the people on my local coastal path would think. <laughs> they would be like, it's that girl with the big headphones crying it <laughs> like off again while she's running. It was a, a massive release for me, I think. Yeah. And <laughs> I can totally understand that, you know, like because for me as well, not with running, I have a very funny relationship with running, but um more so just in terms of movement. Like that was actually what strengthened me on my journey and what like taught me that actually I am strong, I am powerful, yeah. but also helped me to really move through some difficult emotions and times was actually getting into weightlifting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and this was years ago now in my, um, like I was always very into the gym since around age like 18, mm. but then I started really getting into it and really getting into like serious weightlifting and bodybuilding and strength training. And it was actually the first time in my life where, do you know, like I felt in control where yes. I was like, oh, like I can actually influence like myself and my body. And actually I have a level of discipline that has yeah. been non-existent in my life up until this point. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful point. There's something about the discipline of exercise that um, you realise you can pu push you beyond what you ever thought was possible. And there's some, and then you can kind of correlate that to then your everyday life and goals. And I think it, that's a really, really powerful point. And I remember, because I, I remember I would, in the early days of training, I would run and then I would have to stop and come back. And I... And then it would only be a relatively short period of time, weeks later, that you would then be able to run past that previous spot where you had nothing left and know you had, you know, a lot more mileage still in you. And, and I think that that seeing that um, strength build up is a phenomenal thing, it, really, really powerful. And I think all the emotions, all the emotions, uh, someone, it was, uh, someone said just recently, she said it, uh, all the emotions live in that 26.2 miles. And I, I, 
I really feel that and I and I, it also again there's so many correlations to my own journey um kind of rebuilding and restarting a life that you kind of there's just you go through all the emotions and that's that's beautiful I think <laughs> amazing and I think that this is a good note to maybe let's rewind back because you just mentioned obviously the beginning of your journey and where you've come from and I would love to just chat to you a little bit about that and then obviously your journey leading up to this point because one thing that really struck me when me and you first started chatting and you first joined one of my containers so you told me that you were trying at that point to leave the situation that you were in and the religion that you were in, but that it was difficult for you to be able to leave. And what you were talking to me about and the way you were explaining this to me, I saw a lot of correlations between the religion and the situation that you were in and abusive relationships. Obviously, yeah. I've experienced abusive toxic relationships and family situations myself, as well as working with a lot of clients who have. And I just found that really striking, the similarities in what you are saying. So could you actually tell us a little bit about, you know, your growing up, the situation that you were in and how that affected you? Yeah, so I, it's a really interesting um, kind of parallel that because I, I always remember Louis Theroux's interview with um, T FKA Twigs, is it? And she was speaking about coming out of an abusive relationship. And just the previous week, he'd interviewed Leah Rimini, who'd, who'd come out of Scientology. And the crossovers were so powerful. Um, so the high control, high the people will, will refer to my who have come out will refer to my former faith as a cult and it certainly does fit all of the um Stephen Hassan who's a kind of a voice of authority on cults he um formulated something called the bite model and my former faith certainly ticks all those boxes um when when behavior is controlled information is controlled thought control you know and then emotional control I, I try not to refer to it as a cult or not, it's not that I try not to, I don't, I'm not, I'm non, I, it doesn't, if people refer to it as a cult, that's absolutely fine. For me though, I think because of having come from such a life of polarity, I don't ever want to go back there. <laughs> so I don't like pigeonholing things. And also for the average person in my former faith, they're a beautiful people. And they, they, they just, as Leah Rimini says about people in cults, for the most part, they just want a, a better world and they want a, they come from a good place. And so I love everyone that I've left behind with all of my heart. And I think it's, it's that, it's finding that, is it patriarchal, antiquated, <laughs> antediluvian and damaging? Yes. But it, I, I, I feel like to kind of call it nefarious and a cult. And I think that it then immediately conjures up images and pictures in people's mind. And of, of it's this or it's that, or it's black or it's white. And it, for me, it's very far from black or white. So I think 
And I think when I first, I've, I've really stayed off course there with your question, but I oh, think that's okay. To <laughs> so okay. answer your question, I think when I first, when I was kind of, it really is like a matrix situation. I mean, it really is like taking the pill of like, it's like you can't actually believe you've been duped for so long. And the once you start, you don't have to dig very far because the information has been so controlled and the fear is so much a part of you to look outwards for answers or for research but once you do a little bit of digging you realize oh well that doctrine's rubbish so what else and so then you you'll research something else and you think oh that's nonsense too and that and so the actual indoctrination fell away very very quickly for me what then is a real journey is the um finding all the roots that go far deeper and have been far more damaging so just by way of an example this week it came up with a dear friend that I, I actually really struggle with just being happy I, it, I seem to just be like addicted to this struggle and fight to kind of I'm like kind of I I despite all the lack of choice I've had in life I think why can't you just choose to be happy then Susie and it just came up as clear as day because of the it's because of the incongruency of so many of the doctrines and so in the one instance you're being told Jehovah your God is a really happy God and he just wants you to be happy but then in the next breath the person on the platform or in the next page of the literature it will be are you <laughs> Um, are you, is life going easy for you right now? Then you might want to consider are you doing all you can for God because uh, the road is never, the path is never easy for the righteous one. And so you've got all of these kind of mixed messages from conception, basically. And it's that is a journey in kind of digging all of them up and untangling them and then dispensing with them and being a happy person <laughs> i mean what you're talking about obviously is like a lifetime of these beliefs being ingrained into you by people that you love very dearly and so it's not a simple thing to and the same goes for this is what was really striking to me the same goes for like growing up in an abusive household you know is that you look up to your parents and your elder family members as being the absolute truth. And so their beliefs become your beliefs or they try for them to become your beliefs. And even when they have the best intentions, like they're not evil, yeah. they can cause a lot of harm through that. And so by the time you get to that age where you begin to question like what the fuck is going on here something doesn't yeah. seem right yeah that is literally just the beginning of your journey because you then have a long long time after that of reviewing everything that you thought you knew about the world about yourself about life mm -hmm. and then trying to like look at things through a completely different lens even when everything within your entire body is screaming something else because that's what you've been almost wired to believe. So yeah. 
choosing to be happy after a situation like that, unfortunately, as you know, it's not that simple. It's not just a choice. It's about like rewiring. You have to rewire something that has been like built into you since day one. And that is hard work. Yeah, it does take a lot of um, vigilance. I think is the word. It takes constant vigilance in my daily thinking to not be constantly in victim mode. And by victim, I mean a feeling like, oh, I am just, I'm screwed. My, I'm, everything's just completely hopeless. I'm never going to become financially independent or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. And I think it's that kind of, and, and again, I think victim mode is very much part of the religion because once you've kind of got looking to something f to save you I think you've got the whole kind of oscillation of shame guilt fear going on um but yeah I love what you say there and I it's funny because um I heard a meditation teacher say just the other day that spirituality is uh, is waking up it's the opposite of sleeping <laughs> it just makes me laugh that because the narcolepsy of course is all about sleeping <laughs> And I just think I was diagnosed with that in my youth. And I really do see it now is that my body had good intention with the narcolepsy. It was it was my body's way of taking me out of an, what was an intolerable situation for any human to have your life put on hold, waiting for the end of the system. And all of those incongruencies that my unconscious mind was screaming somewhere you know my unconscious mind knew it was all what the heck you know and so I think what better way for my body to kind of um take me out by by literally just falling asleep you know throughout all day throughout my life so I was kind of sleepwalking you know metaphorically and quite literally like um yeah it's quite it's, it's interesting <laughs> And so in knowing all of that, I think what the magic is, is that I can distance myself from it. And I've made gargantuan strides in that, in kind of distancing myself from that kind of um, kind of depressed, anxious, fall asleep, can't cope um, life, you know. Yeah. And I really think that, like, the fact that you developed narcolepsy is as you said, it's such a strong indicator of just how much pressure and fear and inconsistency even was being placed on yeah. you at such a young age that your body, because our bodies are just so intelligent, your body was like, the only way that I can protect you right now is to just shut off completely. Yeah, yeah I think... Um... Yeah, I think there's a lot spoken about the fight, flight, um, or freeze mode. I think probably less we hear about is the faint, just the kind of the body is just kind of, I'm just going to take you out <laughs> and sleep. <laughs> and it's quite funny to me now in, in very intense meditations when I know that there's something that's, there's, it's, there's something kind of resistance has been hit. Of course, what, what do you do? You know, you fall asleep. And I, it just, it fascinates me that it's a whole... That whole thing just fascinates me, you know, it's really it's interesting. really interesting, especially as well. Um, one thing, not necessarily just narcolepsy, but one thing that 
from my own journey and also a lot of the women I work with is noticing that how many people who have been in like long-term toxic or abusive situations from a young age end up developing autoimmune diseases. There's such a strong correlation between that. And it's just fascinating, like, because that's no coincidence, you know, the body is so intelligent. And the yeah. fact that so many women who I speak to with different autoimmune diseases have these like lifelong traumatic stories to tell is yeah. really, really interesting. It's so true. And I, I think another massive epiphany kind of moment it was it was actually when I was going through the I hadn't fully kind of deconstructed at that point but there was a lot going on in the summer of 2020 and uh, it was in that summer that I realized that I'd I'd never actually been a depressive the, uh, another diagnosis that I'd become very attached to or um, kind of clinically depressed and I'd been on the antidepressants for kind of over 20 years I'd been suppressed and the the magnitude of that that kind of realization was phenomenal and I'm absolutely not against um, medication in any way you know it saved my life but in in realizing that I was actually able to come off antidepressants with with relative speed because I realized that wasn't my true essence my true essence had been buried and that's why I was that's why I was depressed <laughs> I mean I can totally understand though Susie like how you would become depressed in the first place because I remember you telling me previously now correct me if I say this wrong or whatever but I remember you telling me previously that you were under the belief growing up that at some point the, the like the world is going to end is that correct yeah, so um, my former faith, Jehovah's Witnesses, it is um, uh, so many beautiful people in that religion and they only need, they need love, folks. If they come back in at your door, love yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, they, your belief is that the end is coming, Armageddon is coming any day now. Um, and so you're kind of in constant vigilance for Armageddon and then God will come, clear away all the wickedness from the earth. And then you're going to go on to live on paradise earth for eternity. And so I think for me, the biggest, the biggest, one of my biggest um, real challenges in, in working through is being time scarcity, because I thought I was going to live forever on paradise earth. <laughs> and then, and I know that I know all the kind of I know what Susie were infinite beings and this is just you, you know your this is a temporary existence in a temporary body and you'll go you know all of that but I I I still I think for someone who has so much life in them and then to come to that realization in your 40s the panic <laughs> that came with that I can't even explain and I and I <laughs> I can't even believe that I was duped for that long but given that your values and beliefs are so rooted in from such an early age it's very very difficult for people born in to religions like that to wake up it's very very difficult and so and so you leave and actually they the, there's very little truth for them to cut other than to cut you off because you you're you're then a threat to their faith 
And again, I can't judge them for that because I, I was that person. I, I was like, this is a test from Satan. Everything's a test from Satan. And so just kind of living in a world where even just that, you know, everything is out to get you. Everything's from Satan. You're always on the lookout for bad rather than all the beauty and all the goodness in the world. And so you're actually set up to fail on coming out because you just only ever I think many leaving have massive trust issues and kind of fear and are these people trying to screw me over and um because yeah, the expression is you know you'll leave and you'll just be chewed up by the world and spat out and that has been anything but my experience anything but <laughs> and it's like again I just want to point out like really the similarities because that's something as well that like I know I also went through that like serious trust issues and thinking that the world was a bad place everybody was out to get me that I had to live in fear and constant hypervigilance because there was mean nasty people who like intentionally wanted to hurt me or wanted to do bad things to me and so like and that that was what led to like me having several panic attacks a day suffering with dissociation and stuff like that because I was in such fear yes there was days when I couldn't even leave the house I couldn't even get past the front door because I was too afraid to go outside and it's just really interesting to me how like strongly these two like seemingly different things you know this high control religion and then also like a toxic or abusive family childhood can just be so similar in a lot of ways and I'm sure there's other stuff out there as well like not just two situations that also have a lot of these similarities and one thing that I'm wondering because I really remember this point on my journey but I'm wondering from your side it sounds like there was definitely like an unfolding of realizations and you said it happened quite rapidly but did you always know that something was wrong but you just didn't know what was wrong or was there like this moment of realization yeah it's a really interesting question that I've I've gone over that question so many times and I suspect it was a a series of events over the course of several years that really kind of really gave me a slap in the face but I think um I I actually remember saying to my dad in my late teens um we must live the most unnatural of lives of everyone on this planet because we're never ever living for now everything is put on hold waiting for the new system and so I think there must have been some some awareness but I just it's like it's like in the in the abusive relationship you can't people will say why didn't you just leave I, I actually read a, a book review in The Guardian, I think it was, of, of a, a former member of my religion. And she said, I, I really struggled with why she couldn't just leave. But I, I think it's just the the indoctrination goes down so deeply. And I was the biggest indoctrinator of myself because I just believed it all. And I just wanted to be a good person. I just wanted to please God. And so you kind of... It was me that was 
doing making sure I was keeping up with everything that you're supposed to be keeping up with and the Bible reading and the study and the meeting attendance and and it so it, it's um yeah it's a, and I and I, I as we said before I, I think that obviously in going on in the unconscious there was a lot going on for me to develop so many health issues and I think but then that religion is is poor health runs deeply like in that religion really you know like really like you know um yeah <sighs> wow and I remember kind of when when we were first talking and you were saying that like you were trying to leave yeah can you tell me a little bit about like what does that even mean? Like, how were yeah. you trying to leave? What did that involve? What did that bring up for you? Because as you said, these are people that they're your family. They are your community. You love them so deeply. So how how did this even come about and what was it like? So I think in the there are different ways of leaving and some will do the very, very slow and cautious fade um, so as to keep hold of their family. Others will keep up appearances in the faith so as to keep their family. And then others will just kind of write the letter of disassociation um, or they'll sin <laughs> and get disfellowshipped. And so... Um, I, it was, it's all of that, it's all of that. I remember November the 5th, 2020, and I don't know, I still to this day don't quite know how I ended up coming from my bathroom to my kitchen, but I was in my postage stamp <laughs> of a kitchen here, sat on the floor, there was rice on the stove, there was fireworks and gunpowder galore going off outside. And I just had a, a razor blade in my hand and I was just hyperventilating because on that night of November the 5th, it just hit me with full force, the reality of leaving a, a religion like that. Because you're you're told to, to all intents and purposes, you have free will and people can leave at any time. But the fallout is, is immense. And I, for a long time, I was very attached to the phrase, <laughs> uh, you lose the only community you've ever known you lose your all of your family and your friends and I try to reframe that now because I don't think it's very helpful I, I, to, to kind of go down that I don't think that anything is ever lost for starters and also there are some very kind-hearted souls who still will flick me a little text every now and again and I, I it's very um <laughs> Even if it, it was okay to kind of go and have association and a meal with them now, it would actually just be very, very uncomfortable anyway. It would be, you know, so I, I can't really any long, I can't really say any longer that they've cut me off because I'm moving forward as much as any cords that have been cut. And also I've had a phenomenal mum and I, to this day, I don't know, how or why which has been phenomenal in kind of standing by me and not shunning me and and I'm very I'm very very blessed to have had that really blessed because that's not everyone's experience I know that and did you ever think that that would be your experience with your mum or did you have a fear that she would shun you or disown you 
I don't um that's I don't know the answer to that. I think I my mum is very soft hearted and as the funny thing is, as are so many people in the religion, they're very, very soft hearted people, your average person in that religion. Um I don't know. I, I I suppose I've managed to kind of go, I've managed to leave without the formal disfellowshipping, which means that, um, which makes life easier for my mum, I guess. I, I, um, yeah, it's so, it's so crazy and so nuanced. And um, I, I, I suppose it's difficult for people to, to grasp and comprehend. Um, but yeah, it's a the the emotional blackmail of the whole shunning thing is they they think it's to kind of help bring you back, but it's obviously you know nothing more than emotional blackmail. It's it's yeah, it's woof. <laughs> of course, I mean it's that fear of first of all the unknown. You know, like if I yeah. leave, then what happens next? But also that fear of being alone. Yeah, like everybody that I know is here. And now if I decide to leave, I have to run the risk of being separated from that. Yeah. And it's the newness of just literally every element of your life. Everything is new. Every single friendship, every single relationship, um, everything. I mean, I, I left the religion on health benefits. That's how poorly I'd become over the years. And so I knew I wanted more for myself than that, but I didn't know how I could with ill health, how I could ever get off health benefits. It, everything was so new to me. And I, and I think sometimes in the, in the past year, um, there's been times when you just kind of ache for a, a friend who's known you all your life or that friend who, who's, who, goes back in time and of course the, that's all gone <laughs> and, and you can and that's it's okay you can work through that but yeah it's the it certainly is a journey and I and I think people think of cults or high control religion as perhaps being in a compound away from civilization and society <laughs> but I think that's what the cruelty of that faith is in a way in that you're kind of there's a you live your life um in a prison you know you can never just see where a little spark goes you know with a friendship or you everything is in-house you know you're all of your associations you have to marry in the faith and so it's a yeah it's a real journey and yet I I'm so grateful for it all and I'm grateful for uh, the beauty and the wonder that I've discovered since coming out that you know the the world has opened up in a in a really beautiful way and I'm so heart grateful for that and I'm also coming to the place where I can be grateful for my whole journey and that and I think the deeper healing in that will come in in months or years to come but I, I there is a Someone said to me in the summer, how is it, Susie, you've been in a prison and yet you can teach me so much? And that just melt the absolute world to me because I think sometimes people think you come out of something like that and you must be very naive or you, how can you know anything about anything? But actually, this it's been a school in and of itself <laughs> and we've all got something to teach and offer. And I think that's where 
sometimes people who come out get a little lost they they forget that how how much they have to give and actually they don't have to just survive anymore but they can really thrive you know <laughs> and I definitely think as well that it's so impossible for somebody to understand what this is like or what anything is like unless they've directly experienced it themselves. Like you can explain it into words, even if you're the best speaker and communicator on this planet, you can say it into words, but it's not the same thing. And yeah. so for people to be able to like say things like, like, oh, why didn't you just leave? You know, like, I understand why you didn't just leave, you know, because <laughs> I, even though I haven't come from a religion like that, I've come from an abusive situation. And so I understand, I'm like, it's not that simple. It's not that black and white. You can't just leave. Your whole, sometimes actually even, the reason why you don't leave is because you don't realize that there's anything to leave. You don't realize that there is something else out there. You don't realize that's what hap that is what, what is happening to you is something that you should leave from. And there's a lot of different things in relation to this that I think it's really, really challenging to get across. But then when people like yourself or myself, when we share this story and other women who've been through similar experiences are then like, oh, wow, like this explains also what I'm going through. And this actually helps me to realize that like I wasn't naive, I wasn't stupid, I wasn't weak. All of the things that we sometimes get told or that this impression of what we were and we actually are then able to realize that, well, this is actually perfectly normal for what we went through, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't mean anything bad about us. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, yeah. Like there's a lot of times when something that I was actually only thinking about yesterday that this is totally going off on a tangent but it just really like comes into what we're talking about but I remember reading a bit recently about you know Khloe Kardashian and yeah. the abusive relationships that she's been in in the past with really like you know nasty and hurtful men but the abuse that she gets not just from men, but from other women, saying, well, it's her own fault. She should have known after the first time. Why did she take him back? Um, she's obviously just stupid and stuff like that. And it makes me realize that there's a lot of people out there in the world who do not understand like abuse or who do not understand um, how deep-rooted these experiences and beliefs can be in your body in your nervous system your emotions your mind your beliefs and so to the outside looking in it's easy to say why did she take him back after the first time or why doesn't she make better choices yeah but it's it's really not that simple yeah no it really isn't <laughs> I I oh I had a really um I had a thought then and it's completely escaped me. It's gone. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really not that simple. And I think 
Yeah, oh, that was it. I think sometimes with grief, people can kind of be like, they've been dead a year now, but, you know, come on now, <laughs> chop, chop. And I, and although, although I've, I feel like I've made real strides ahead with real speed in so many areas of my life, there are still some days when it all just hits like a tsunami. And actually Monday of this week was one of those those days. And, and there's part of me that gets a little bit judgmental of my own self in those moments, because I'm just like, really, Susie, are you still running this storyline, you know? And then there's also an element of struggling to kind of ask, reach out for help in those moments in case people think, really, Susie, you know, are you still like, running this storyline <laughs> and yeah I just think I think it is a real process and I, and I, sometimes I get really naffed off in the whole coaching world and the neuro-linguistic programming world to kind of oh trust the process and sometimes I just want to I just want to say oh the process <laughs> but it really is and I, and like the like the marathon running where I would get to that spot uh, you know early on in the training and think I can't I've got nothing left I've got to go home at some point you get past that point and you can carry on a lot longer and a lot further and so it is with the journey uh, such as this it's a uh, you you do get to points uh, that you think my god I've come far you know <laughs> absolutely and I think one thing to recognize is that no matter how far you've come you're still allowed to have those days Yes. Like, even if you've come, like completely turned your life around and you've been on this healing journey for 20 years, yeah. you're still allowed to break down. Yes. You're still allowed to feel sadness. You're still allowed to feel grief. Like there's no time limit no. on that. And in actual fact, oftentimes a lot of the parts that maybe we think are like healed or we don't think about anymore or give them any energy maybe something will happen or maybe even just one day something doesn't need to happen but maybe we'll all of a sudden feel overwhelmed with grief or sadness just yes. from the body without kind of having that explanation why and that doesn't mean that we need to go in with our toolbox and fix it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that doesn't mean that oh i need to do more work here or oh maybe i'm not healed like that just means yeah. we're human and we're on this journey. And I love the saying, a lifetime worth of pain can't be healed in one night. Yes. You know, okay. because think about, for example, Susie, like it was only in the past few years that you've gotten free from a previous like 40 years yeah. of this experience, yeah. you know? So Oh my goodness, I'd be more surprised if you didn't have those days. <laughs> I, I'd have to, I think you'd have to be like a robot. I love the, yeah. the, um, the, um, the thought that there's a vibrational, um, there's a, there's a vibrational frequency in sound to match every emotion. And if you've not released the sound, the emotion isn't fully released. And I love that sound. And I just think sometimes, oh God, I wish that we could like buy, um, you know, so a little soundproof, little yeah. walk-in thing that you can just go in and just 
let out because I think rage has been a massive one of mine. And so, and you've got we don't live in in surroundings where you can just scream without people calling the police. But I feel like that's a massive one for me is to just kind of if and when we can is to really release. And if you need to sob, sob out loud and don't, try not to stifle anything because <laughs> it is it is important and I also think as you say that I think it has to get to the point where we where we can become so I know I've been so obsessed with healing peeling back the layers kind of you know what what, what where's this come from oh I've got to uproot this and untangle that and it, I think it it sometimes I feel like for me I do have to kind of think okay Susie you you this will be a lifelong job, you know, not even a job. That makes it sound like work. This will be a, a lifelong process that you get to do now. <laughs> and at some point I have to, or rather I get to, <laughs> um, create my life, create the life that I really, really want. And I think I've been a little stuck at times in the victim mentality that I'm just absolutely screwed by the life I've had rather than just thinking okay then well you know what life do you really want then let's let's go get it Susie and you know what's funny actually when you were talking there about having that like soundproof box that you can just go in and let it out it made me actually remember something that I totally like forgot about this but when I was younger and this was like before I knew what I know now obviously now this kind of thing is actually a big piece of my work that I do is like movement and sound as a way to process and release but when I was a kid obviously I didn't in my mind I didn't know any of that but it's interesting how now looking back something inside of me was already kind of doing that because I remember right <laughs> So I was a very anxious, stressed, depressed, unhappy child um, because of the situation I was in. But I remember sometimes, and I lived in a terraced house, by the way, like on the end, okay? So I didn't have, like I wasn't in the middle of a field or anything. I had neighbours. But when my, like when the house was empty, when there was nobody home, I used to... <laughs> I, no wonder I got like, they were telling me I was ADHD and everything. But I used to walk around the house, right? And scream at the top of my lungs and like stamp <laughs> my feet. And I'd be like banging on the wall, stamping my feet, screaming. And one day <laughs> I was screaming and making so much noise that one of my neighbors came and knocked on the front door to make sure that I wasn't like, killing my younger brother <laughs> and that's it <laughs> and yet that little girl had it right <laughs> yeah exactly now luckily my brother wasn't home like and the reason i was doing it was because nobody's home i was like i need to get this right rage yeah. out of me and that was the only way that i knew how yeah, yeah. um but I, I kind of had forgotten about that, actually. And I used to do that all the time. Um, but I had totally forgotten about that until you were saying about the sound. And sometimes that sound just needs to be, like, released out of you. Yes. And can I, <laughs> I don't know how we are for time, but can I just say that 
Also for me, another sound release was the the orgasmic sound, complete opposite to rage. <laughs> but the importance of releasing that sound from my body, I cannot even begin to, to put into words because obviously you can imagine the sexual suppression runs deep in, in a religion like that. And so, you you know, sex before marriage is, you know, off you a chaperone throughout your marriage. Um, and I never dated inside the marriage because I suspect in, inside the religion because I suspect I it I knew somewhere this is terrifying. You're not just you're not just signing up for a life, um, but it's everlasting life <laughs> according to that religion. Um, and so I I'd never dated until I left the religion. And so coming into all of that <laughs> in your forties. You know, it's not ideal, <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that it is possible. And, I, and so I, I like kind of lost, lost my my innocence at like 43, uh, just a few weeks before my 44th birthday, in a in a beautiful way. And I can't the the noises, <laughs> the noises that occurred that night because the the I it's the it was the release after, and obviously I'd had like a good little year where I'd come to uh, with your with with your own container and books and all sorts of kind of just experimenting. I'd kind of been on a magical journey with myself, and so I was just so ready <laughs> to share that. And uh, the the noises I were. All they were magnificent in my mind, but I'm sure any neighbours might have been terrified. <laughs> well, not on that I first think night. Something that you just said there, Susie, that I want to point out is first of all that the way you described losing your virginity was losing your innocence. <laughs> yes. Which I found really interesting that right that, a very religious term yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're right um, so I just I didn't project. know if you noticed that you <laughs> yeah. had said that or not um, it was so such I a really good term and I, I couldn't find it because I don't even like um I don't even like saying losing my virginity but um but yeah really interesting yeah. all the yeah. all the terminology and really fascinating yeah that's a world unto itself I think <laughs> and also as well like as you said like the noises like as human beings like noise is one of the most like primal ways yes. as we just mentioned about me when I was young and I didn't have any support and I didn't know how to process or to release these big feelings that I had inside of me yeah. the only thing that I could come up with to do was to scream like and to bang yeah. my feet and um, then on the flip side of that, like also very primal, natural, innate way to express our joy and pleasure. Yes. Is, you know, that very orgasmic, like natural sound. The same when women are giving birth, you know, making that very orgasmic yeah. Yeah. sound. It's just such a primal way for our bodies to be able to maybe express with sound and to yeah. release with sound something that is too difficult to voice into words maybe even yes yes i i keep trying to um i go keep going to write down to to sit down and write about that experience and it will come i think that the the, the words but i um it's such a 
it's such a when you've buried that part of yourself to the degree that even for someone in that faith I'd done a phenomenal job at suppressing things and um yeah the shame around self-pleasure and the the guilt and the uh, so yeah it was a it was just magnificent to me and also it was what was magnificent was how easy I, I I found to just kind of get into that real womanly kind of um that that side of myself it, it was a it was a a really uh yeah it was a really beautiful thing for me <laughs> goodness I can imagine and one thing as well that I think is really important to point out as well is that like there's often this so I work with a lot of women and there's often this almost like shame of like oh I have to have sex before a certain age and if I haven't like there's something wrong with me or that's weird or how will I explain that to people or yeah. what will happen when the time comes because there's yeah. actually a lot of people who I've spoken with, both male and female, who are at various different ages in their adult lives and who are telling me, like, I haven't lost my virginity and I'm so embarrassed by it or I'm so ashamed or now it's gotten to the point where I'm too afraid because I've yes. built it up for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I and I guess the people as well who have who who have perhaps been divorced as well and, and who then who were who at a very perhaps they were married at a very young age and then it's they're fearful of 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 that kind of you know that journey <laughs> and so I I I think I think it's probably less common than uh, what is that the right word? Is that the right is yes. that it's probably yeah less common than than we we think we imagine it to be. And I, I think, um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it, it is a, an interesting thing. I, I, I remember uh, in 2021, the summer of 21, and I, for the first time, I'd, I'd insert, I was self-pleasuring with a, a rose quartz wand. Um, magical, but it, I was only able to do that because I actually had to go to the doctor because I, I just thought maybe I'd, it was like a, uh, um, I, like when you've pierced your ear and it closes over without use because I just kind of thought will I ever I couldn't even insert my fingers at first because I, I I was that whole world was just alien to me I'd completely shut down that side of myself because I I couldn't cope with the crippling guilt if I was to ever self-pleasure so my whole female anatomy was alien to me and so it was little wonder that I'd suffered crippling period pain, vomiting, horrible ovarian cyst and all of that. But it was actually, I actually went to the doctors for her to examine me to see if everything was okay. And it was her reassurance that just enabled me to breathe and to really then enjoy the journey of self-pleasure. She actually inserted a finger and she said, I could I could insert two right now, but I'm I'm that might just be a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, that's good enough for me. Let's go. <laughs> but it was you know that, what? I needed that reassurance. I was gonna say, I love how she's managed to make a situation that could have been very tense <laughs> yeah. into just something to laugh about. Yeah, it was. And I yeah. just I kind of skipped home because I just thought, oh, I'm okay and I'm gonna be okay and um yeah 
so yeah just really and I, I around about that time I'd started with kind of spontaneous orgasms which again I, I I guess was just my system just clearing out and um yeah just it, which again was a magical experience for me to to ha have that side of myself come up you know come up for air <laughs> and also I can imagine that like that's almost like the euphoria of being free for the first time in your life and your body yeah. is finding a way to express that yes yes I, I um yeah I I it's a and and it's interesting now when that stops it, uh, for a little while back in April I had a period where they stopped and I and I felt like I was ill I was really in a bad way and I but then I realized why and it, it was in an awareness there that kind of well you're doing too much here you're overstretching there you're and so it was just kind of about coming back to myself and finding a a, a new way forward I guess um I think when you come out of a religion like that it's you just want to do so much and experience so much and you learn for me it's learning so much I just want to learn so much and um I, I think it, you can overtax yourself very very quickly and you that it's important to remember that it's a it's a marathon not a sprint <laughs> oh my goodness absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um I think as well, like one thing that's really important to point out is that like learning to like, because it is something that sometimes you have to teach yourself or to practice. It's a, a skill, but learning to be able to experience pleasure after yeah. spending your entire life being told not to experience pleasure. Yeah. Like, yeah. wow, you know, what a journey that is. And yeah when you mentioned to me that you even went to the doctors to find out like is everything okay down there because it was feeling like maybe closed yeah that's actually something that is so common like a lot of women who have been in abusive relationships or have been sexually abused or assaulted or a lot of women also who like experience miscarriage pregnancy loss um, and, you know, various things, various different traumas like that. And then again, in your situation, it creates this like fear and this tension within the body, which of course creates fear and tension within the pelvic floor, leading to this problem of like not being able to even insert a finger or a tampon or anything like that. And like, I love actually being able to talk about this and to normalize this because a lot of women who I speak with, like when they're saying it to me, sometimes they even struggle to get the words out of their mouth, you know, because it's such a big thing for them, you know, it's such a problem in their lives and it's gone on for so long that even for them to speak the words out loud to try and explain it to me is like a massive obstacle yes. to overcome, you know? So I love that we've got onto this topic and to be able to share with all of those women out there that like it's a journey, but yeah. also 
that you can absolutely 1 million percent go from that place to experiencing spontaneous orgasms, losing yes. your virginity at whatever age you choose yes. to and having these wonderful, beautiful, pleasurable experiences in your life. Yeah, it's really, and it's a really important for me to share that. I think I, um, it's a really, I, I'm actually writing a book at the moment about my experiences and, and all the things that have helped me more than than uh, than anything. But um yeah I, that's a really important I was actually going to call it 44 a veg and no more but I think I probably won't but it's it's because it's that's been such a, a massive part yes. of of everything you know I, um, another one was recently having my photograph um a photograph taken um photograph session in my underwear um and just kind of really feeling that sensuality because I think that's actually actually where we are empowered and that it's that creative force within us and I think um there's real power in that and it's a a, a magical mystical magnificent thing you know (laughs) oh my goodness I totally agree and I love the name by the way if you decide to choose that for your book (laughs) I think that is fabulous that sounds like the kind of book I'd see it on a shelf and be like, I need to find out more about this. <laughs> oh, dear, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, just it's, um, yeah, it's a, it, yeah, some, I, I suppose, I wonder whether I ever thought it would happen. <laughs> I think um, it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. And was there any, like, was there any fear or anything around this? Like, were you building it up or were you nervous or was it just very natural? It was very natural. And I was, inc- I, I think because I'd envisioned in all of my kind of journaling, I'd, I'd explicitly written about what I wanted, how I wanted things to, you know, um, unfold. And so I'd, I had a really beautiful soul and we had kind of three weeks together and it was a a very uh just so full of ease and flow and delight and he very much took care of my pleasure Uh, he put that first knowing the situation i think he was shocked when i told him (laughs) that i never so much as kissed that you know until that until that night and so um yeah it was it was um it was a beautiful journey. It really was at those three weeks of kind of self-discovery and um, learning together, you know, strangely enough. Um, but yeah, and, and interestingly, the, the day before, I'd actually got lost in a eucalyptus forest somewhere in the mountains of Portugal. Um, but before that happened, <laughs> I actually made love to myself <laughs> on a, in a, it was a, I was I stripped I stripped off in because it, 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 it was so so remote and I just felt the the pleasure of the forest the smell of the eucalyptus and it was such a, a a tremendous moment and you know when you feel like an energy shift there was like this there was no breeze it was so still and I just I I screamed out loud then actually in in, in that forest and uh, the and then there was suddenly this beautiful breeze through the forest. And I, I just somehow knew, I knew the soul that I'd met. 
and I just thought I think I think now is the time Susie and uh, and it very much was the next day and yeah <laughs> sounds amazing and can I just say getting lost in a eucalyptus forest in Portugal and making love to yourself is now my future dream it was such a beautiful moment I was I just kind of qualified as an NLP practitioner um we'd done the assessment online so I went up to them up the mountains for a walk I then I made love to myself and then I thought this is amazing and then I subsequently got lost <laughs> and I was like lost for two and a half hours crying my leg off and I thought oh Oh, they're still still addicted to the struggle yeah. Susie <laughs> I'm sure there's a lesson in there somewhere <laughs> oh wow that sounds amazing it oh, sounds wow. like also as well like that was so meant to happen yes like what a beautiful yeah. like a full circle moment yeah. you know yes Wow, that's sounds- and because the the way I met that chap was I actually went through a whole gamut of experiences that fell through and I lost money and all sorts and then I felt like really screwed over and then but then I would never have met that chap had it not been for all of that um those what at the time you think are bad experiences and so it's really nice to know that even when there's something um well this isn't you know working the way I'd planned you can kind of think well what's right about this or what could this be leading to and it's a yeah it's just really interesting to reframe (laughs) it really is and I I love that because that's something I've also really experienced a lot through my life is at the time being like what the fuck is going on here (laughs) yeah this couldn't get any worse. This is not what I was trying to manifest, you know, what went wrong. But then now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's what was happening. You yeah. Know? I just didn't yeah. see it at the time. Things were shifting and changing yeah. to work for you. Yeah. And I love that. And so now, like whenever things don't seem to be going to plan, I'm just like, it'll be fine (laughs) maybe maybe I've gone to the total extreme because now (laughs) I'm just completely like "Ah, I'll be fine you know like I have no cares no worries (laughs) everything's working out there could be like great disaster (laughs) happening around me and I'd be like oh it's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a nice place to be Kirsty yeah (laughs) I like that yeah (laughs) and so this is going totally off track but it's something that I've been dying to chat to you about. So when you mentioned being in a eucalyptus forest, it popped yeah. into my head about your foraging. Yes, I love oh, to forage. It, I just this find was... this so interesting. So yeah. tell me more about this. Um, so I, this was something that I really, this is the first thing that I signed up for upon leaving the religion was a herbal plant medicine course. Um, but then I subsequently went on to do study life coaching and NLP and meditation practices and all sorts of other things. And I, I know, I know I took on too much. And so that sadly, the herbal plant medicine has kind of slipped through the cracks a little. And I'm now retaking the first year because I just lost the plot with it last year. But I I just, I love, love, love it because I love being out in nature. I love that connection with nature and the amount of weeds and hedgerows that we perceive are just 
are, are weeds or are kind of have no use that are edible. And um, and actually, that was one of the magical things about the chat that I had my kind of first intimate experience experiences with he was a master at all of that and so that was very that the synchronicity of that was very beautiful so he would kind of you can go for a walk and come home f with your lunch you know and I, I i love that that kind of self-sufficiency that um knowing what plants can heal what what plants we can eat what um what we can make our own tinctures and flower essences and lip balms with in, in you know oils imbued with plants and i just think there's a a, a absolute a, you know no wonder the uh the witches were viewed with such fear because they they knew shit you know <laughs> oh my goodness definitely whenever i'm seeing your stories and you're riding along with your bike with your basket on the front full of all of these different herbs <laughs> and plants i'm just like oh what a dream. like that's amazing yeah. it was really hard when i was at marathon training because you'd kind of slip by a i don't know a load of like plantain or hawthorn berries or whatever and i'm like oh damn i wish i could just go foraging right now <laughs> oh it's yeah. yeah wow that sounds amazing and it's yeah. definitely something that like not right now but I'd love to be able to kind of get into a bit in the future yeah. because like as you know with me I'm the same I just love any connection yeah. to the earth to plants to mother nature and stuff and I'd just love to actually know like what I can forage and what I can't yeah. and like what's the purpose of being able to do that and stuff um I think my only experience <laughs> and I wouldn't really call this foraging but uh, me and my dad went on a hike once and at the top of this like mountain that we were on he goes oh by the way and he picks a plant and goes suck on that right <laughs> and I'm like okay put it in my mouth and it was like a, do you know like anise and a seed oh yes yeah yeah well i <laughs> drank a liter of sambuca when i was like 16 years old and projectile oh, it. so ever since <laughs> me and that no. taste do not go hand in hand so i put it into my mouth and immediately got the taste and i what <laughs> give that to me <laughs> Ah, oh, the joys. I think yeah. it's the simplicity of foraging and the, I think it's just some, that kind of whole, we don't have to rely on, you know, the whole, everything's just so overproduced, mass produced, pre-packaged, pre-cooked, pre-chopped, you know, pre, you know, everything. And I just, it's the, the simplicity of going back to our, I, you know, I think if our ancestors were to come back and see how far we've come to, you know, like in, in far, how far we moved we are now from being able to kind of know our plants and, and all that, I think they'd be just mortified. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a delight, I, I think. It's, I can it's, totally imagine because even for me, so since we've moved to Spain, I've got now like many many plants <laughs> i've turned into like a plant mother oh also as well i've got loads of different like herbs and stuff because i'm always cooking like cooking is yeah. one of my like 
just personal things you know that's like I love it so much it's nothing to do with my business or growth or anything it yes. just makes me feel yeah. good to talk yeah. so I started like a collection of different herbs and stuff and honestly it just brings me so much joy like yes. being able to think like oh I've got a herb for that or oh my yeah. god like I grew these herbs that yeah. I'm using in this dish like I just find it yeah. so amazing so I really think that like an extension of that yeah would be like learning how to be able to forage and yeah. like what plants and stuff are in the local area that I could yeah. actually use because I live like the village I live in is so small and we are surrounded by like fields and mountains and wildlife and stuff so yeah. It would be so amazing to be able to forage here. Like, there would be so much if only I knew how. Yeah, and you'll have all sorts of things that, of course, we don't have in England because of the cold. You'll probably have, like, almonds and all sorts going on there. We have, like, almonds, oranges, lemons, limes. So I'm confident enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oranges. Yeah. (laughs) Also, um, there's somewhere around the corner where at the beginning of the summer there was grapes and stuff. So, like, with fruits and stuff, I'm obviously confident because I know what an orange is and it's not going to kill me. Oh, I'd love to be able to learn more about the plants and stuff. I, I loved on your stories that you had raspberry leaves um, mentioned for period pain yeah. because I, I have these raspberry bushes and I've never, they've never really grown fruit, but I dry out the leaves and then make tea regularly from the uh, raspberry leaves because, um, so yeah, I, that's a, that, uh, yeah, that's a beautiful one. Oh, I love making teas. And that, that's yeah. another thing that I really want to do is, have a, my own little tea blend company with, with from herbs and plants and things. I think that would be a beautiful thing. That yeah. would be amazing. I'm the same, Susie. <laughs> like, I just am obsessed with teas. Yes. I love them so much. And it's funny because you might have heard me tell this story before, but when I was at, like, my really, really lowest point, I was suffering, like, deep in my CPTSD, panic attacks and stuff, So any single day that I left the house was like a win for me. But also it was horrible. Like my day outside of the house would be spent in complete fear and panic. And I was going to therapy at the time. And I remember my therapist asking me one day after I had had like a horrible and overwhelming day, like, can you try and think of just one thing in your life that you're grateful for? And I was like, no, like there's nothing, you know, like I was in such despair at the time. that I was like, I can't think of a single thing that I'm grateful for in this moment. And so I left. She was like, think on it, like see if anything comes up. And so I left and all the way home from the therapist's office, which was a 40 minute walk, because this at this point, my anxiety was so bad that I wouldn't get public transport. So I'd walk everywhere. And so the full walk home, I was trying not to have a panic attack. And I was thinking, okay, just get home, have a cup of tea and get into bed and put your salt lamp on and it'll be okay. And I was like repeating this in my head, get home, have a cup of tea, get into bed, salt lamp. So the second I got in the house, I remember just bursting into the kitchen kettle on get a herbal tea out like smelling in all of the boxes to be like which one do I want right now 
made this cup of tea, got upstairs, into bed, put my salt lamp on and just had a sip of tea and just felt my body like just completely unwind, like completely relaxed. And then I realized, I was like, oh, this is what I'm grateful for. Like, it's not this big extra extravagant thing of like what I was trying to think. I'm just grateful for this cup of tea in this moment and to be able to sit and drink this and relax while I drink it. And so when I told this next time in therapy to my um, my therapist, she, she was said to me, okay, so like make that a thing, like make that the highlight of your day. You know, if you've got nothing else in your day, you have that. Yeah. So, of course, I ended up with like a full cupboard full of all different loose. fancy loose leaf Yeah, tea. I was going to say, yeah, not just dust in a bag. <laughs> the but that's, yeah, like, but that's something that then has never left me, you know, like still, like yeah. having that cup of tea, like herbal tea and choosing which one and yeah. like taking that time to sit with it. It's a ritual for me yeah. and it's something that seems sometimes so small but it it was the first time within that part of my journey that I realized I had a bit of pleasure in my day yes oh. yeah those sensory experiences are a, a lifeline hey I think when we're in a, whether it's the heat of a radiator on your back or the smell of the tea um yeah it's like really important things to remember I think it's yeah. definitely it's like an anchor almost back yeah. into the present moment yeah. so even back into the body you know because I was yeah. suffering with a lot of dissociation so yeah. what I noticed is that when I was drinking the cup of tea you know like the heat of the cup in my hands yeah. the warmth yeah. of it going down and then the, the tastes of it would really bring me like back into the body hugely yeah. for the first time that day yes yeah yeah that's beautiful yeah, it's amazing how something so simple can actually be so powerful. Yes, sniffing cardamom is one of mine. <laughs> Don't ask me why, I just love the smell of cardamom, it's magic. <laughs> oh, I totally understand that. I love the smell of it as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so nice. And so Susie, I'm conscious of time, but I want to circle back to the marathon, okay? Right. Because we've journeyed up to this point and I just really... I'm so excited about this for you. I am just so proud of you <laughs> that you did this and that you, like, I just can't believe it's only been like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I was having these conversations with you that like, you couldn't really do much at that point, you know? It was yeah. at that point when we were talking and you were saying, I want to get off health benefits, but yeah. I don't think I can because of my narcolepsy. And yeah. now you're running marathons. Like, wow. So can we just talk a little bit? I know we've talked about it already, but just a little bit about like that experience for you. Like, how did that feel to be able to achieve that? Um, it was, uh, uh, people say that uh, running a marathon is life changing. And I, I, I really get that now. I, um, it was a, a phenomenal day it was a beautiful day and I um it 
I was just over six hours. I didn't really want to get caught up, hung up on timing and all of that. Although now I wish I'd perhaps not faffed about taking so many videos along the way. I might have been on the telly, but because the camera's cut off at five. <laughs> and I got in past the finish line at two minutes past five. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I, but yeah, I, 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 I enjoy, I wanted to enjoy the day more than anything. I was also on my period on, on that day, which wasn't ideal, um, but it, it's how it was. And so I'm really hot. I'm just proud and so, so proud. And the, the six hours passed like that. It was just um, 26.2 miles of pure carnival spirit with um, all so much support and love and, uh, people, bands playing and people handing out sweets to you and it was a, a, phen a phenomenal, people say that London is the best place to run a marathon on, on earth and I, after running that I, I quite believe them, you know. <laughs> I can, oh I can only imagine and <laughs> like just thinking like, I mean for anybody running a marathon is amazing but for you, like that is just so beyond amazing, you know, yeah. like to be able to experience what you've experienced in your life and to be able to like overcome your narcolepsy to the point of being able to run a marathon is just, yeah. it's <laughs> phenomenal. It's amazing. And it's also very hopeful to a lot of women or even just a lot of people out there who are maybe suffering, whether it be from like abuse or control, but also from very physical, very real, deep-rooted health issues. Like it's very hopeful, you know, to be like, okay, well, if Susie can do it, yeah. can do it you know, <laughs> like if one if one woman is able to do it, then it means that it's possible. You yeah, know? and I just think that your story is such a one of like hope and determination. Yeah, and just the importance to remember that it is possible to distance yourself from, you know, illnesses. And I and I I say that with caution because I think that can bring up a lot of resistance with people. And I remember the first person that to say to me, "You could probably shift the narcolepsy," you know, and the anger i really i won't tell you what i said to them but it wasn't pleasant and i and, and now i realize i understand what they meant and i and i, I think with that kind of vigilance of thought and not you know i would i uh, you said there quite rightly that i would refer to it as my narcolepsy i fully embodied that illness and now i i don't refer to it as, as that i i don't kind of give it that um that space you know in my life um so yeah, it, it's just, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it, anything is possible, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love that you said that about distancing yourself from it. And you're right, it can be like a big thing to maybe yeah. look at and to accept. But I've been there on my own journey. Like I remember when I was, because when I was first diagnosed with my autoimmune disease, was at the time, as I told you, I was very into the gym, very into working out. I had been bodybuilding for years. I had studied to become a PT. So like it was 
like being very physical and active was such a big part of my life. And then being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease where I was barely able to walk or yeah. even hold my phone or hold a cup. And it, it, it really took over, over like my identity from that point. Yes. I was no longer like the gym girl, you know, I was yeah. no longer the body builder. I was the girl with an autoimmune disease. Yeah. And for a long time, because at this point, like I had been blogging for a long time about like my wellness journey and training right. and stuff like that. And so then it all shifted into like this kind of autoimmune space. And now this thankfully for me happened very quickly, but I realized very quickly that like being the girl who like, and not that it's bad to share your story, but like I was living in that story. Yes. Almost, you know, and when I decided to stop being like, oh, who are me? I have an autoimmune disease and I'm sharing my struggle. Yeah. Didn't mean that I can't feel like this is horrible. This is bad. I'm struggling. I feel sad. But I could also choose to not be that person anymore almost and yeah. like to still do the things that I wanted to do in spite of that so I I used to actually go to the gym right this is when my autoimmune disease was at its worst I'd go to the gym and just pick up like one kilogram dumbbells and just do like one really long like spread out set of um, dumbbell curls with the lightest weight that was available I'd have elbow um, bandages to support my elbows I'd have wrist straps on to support my wrists and I'd be using one kilogram dumbbells but I'd really drag it out to spend as much time in the gym as I could yes. because the gym was my thing you know yeah. and I was like this is still my thing whether I have an autoimmune disease or not, if that is, I'm not going to allow like my illness to take me away from me almost. Yes. And yeah. I think that that was so healing for me because when I realized that actually I don't have to stay in bed and be sad and blog about my illness, I can actually blog about other things. And I don't have to have in my bio, like, autoimmune warrior. Not yeah. saying that that's a bad thing. Yeah. But yeah. for me personally, having that in my bio was like, this is me. Yeah. Uh, you you're know? giving it energy. Uh, you're yeah. just constantly feeding it. And um, the, the, and the, and your, your mind, you, you know, we, we, uh, what, what is it? Energy um flows where attention goes and so yeah and it takes it takes vigilance that to to yeah. kind of you know even in your day-to-day -day speak or if anyone asks you about it sometimes you know you just want to kind of say actually it's in a, in a really bad way today but to kind of say yeah yeah it's all good and that's not to say uh, to ignore it or to suppress feelings or to kind of 
put on a positive face that isn't there. You find the right people to have a splurge through. But I think you you find the right people who aren't going to go down the rabbit hole with you and who are, who are um, going to be like not not in the victim mentality with you, um, if that makes sense. And to kind of um, pull, for, for me, I needed to be, I, I used the expression that I needed to be pulled up by the short and curlies frequently because I could just so easily get lost in that kind of whole, I'm just, I'm, every, all is lost, you know, and everything's just lost. <laughs> um, there was just so many things to, to do and achieve and just so much I wanted to do, want to do. And, and there's no time, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to be, you know, in that self-pity mode. But at the same time, if it asked, I, those bad days like Monday, it had to be acknowledged. Otherwise you just end up in war with yourself. You have to find ways to release. But. But yeah, sorry, waffled on a bit there. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I said this to you before, Susie. I love your waffling. <laughs> Such a waffle bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Thank you, honestly, Susie, so much for coming um, on. Thank um, you. I've been dying to ask you all of those questions <laughs> for ages and also just to celebrate your journey. Oh, bless you and thank you so much for all of your womb healing um magic as well over the past year or more 18 months or whatever it's just some wonderful things in those meditate and i love that you keep the womb healings it's the same format and i love that because you every time something else is revealed something new comes up and i i it's magic that to me magic you know that's what's so interesting about like that particular, you know, like the free womb healing meditation that I yeah. do regularly. Um, yeah. That's what's so interesting about that is that I have done that particular meditation so many times and still to this day, like new things come up for me that I just didn't realize before, you know, like I was talking about a few months ago, I was doing this meditation and because usually what I do is when I teach a womb healing meditation, the next day I'll play the recording to myself and do it myself, you know, because that's a way of like keeping myself accountable of like, this is when I'm going to do it as well. Yeah. And so I was doing it a few months ago and deep in the meditation that I've done a million times and I realized all of a sudden, so I'm talking to like my five-year-old self or something and I'm saying oh my god I'm so so sorry like please forgive me for all of the shit that I'm about to put you through in the next Aww. 10 years like please forgive me I'm so sorry I love you um and I realized during that point that the person that I thought I was angry at for my entire life wasn't actually the person I was angry at the person that I was angry at was me yeah because I had not looked after myself and that I had felt like I had let myself down and made loads of bad decisions <laughs> like which which now you know I've come to that place of like forgiveness and compassion and stuff but I I realized that actually I still had a lot of that anger towards my teenage self there yeah. and like realizing that actually it's not this other person that I'm angry at whereas for years 
I yeah. thought it was, you know, and realizing like, oh, me that I'm angry at, like, what kind of bullshit is this? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was it like it was a really, really big thing that came into my awareness. And it was just so interesting because I thought all of the big stuff, you know, like I've worked through. So like, yeah, little stuff comes up or but this was like something that I had never, ever realized before. Yeah. Yeah. And for it to still, yeah, to still come up or after all that time. Yeah, to still come up and also to still like shock me so much yeah. that I was like, <gasps> yeah, you know, like it was as if like another almost little mini awakening of realizing like, oh, yeah. I never knew that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting how the, that meditation, but also just any of the work that we do, you know, we're always uncovering new stuff. The more that we do it, I really think that like repetition is something that is yeah vital for any like self-development or healing practice and i love that that's what awakening is it's not just a, a re reaching a kind of a moment of eureka moment yeah. oh you know it's it's a, it's the through it is through all of the layers and all of the ups and all of the downs that that's where that's where the gold is sometimes in our in our darkest moments hey and so i i love that it is a it is a process and it is a journey and that we actually can come to a, a place of loving the whole lot, that all of the, um, to feel it all and to just rejoice that we can feel it all, you know, it's mm. kind of wonderful. Oh my God, Susie, it really is. You know, like I actually, like saying that, I just get this shiver through me because it's something that I really feel a lot as well, that when I look back at the most painful moments of my life it's weird to even say this out loud but they are also the most beautiful moments of yeah. my life because in those moments like I remember myself like say being in the most like deep heartfelt desperate sobs and being like so in despair and but also in those moments like finding that inner strength or yeah. like finding that connection with like my faith or with a higher power or with the divine you know yeah. and it was in those really dark and messy and horrible painful moments that like that door almost opens yeah. to me yeah you know yeah that's yeah I like I, I love that I um oh I had a little thought then and it's gone oh <laughs> but yeah absolutely I um uh, the contrast that was it it's the it's seeing the contrast as well I, I and it, I think without the contrast like that marathon if I'd have had a clean bill of health and the, if the road had have been easy getting there the, that finish line wouldn't have been half as incredible and the, the euphoria that came from that and, and the, the feeling of oh my gosh you know I can do anything <laughs> and so I it, it's that contrast actually that I, I'm grateful for um yeah <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Susie. Hey, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you.
<laughs> so um, thank you so much for coming on. And also as well, I don't know, is your page like public or anything or is it private? What's the story there? It is um public, yep. Um I I I um and is yeah. that something that you want to share? Because sometimes people do and sometimes people don't. So if so you do want to, you can. Um right, yeah. So yeah, Susie Exiles um on Instagram and Susie Rollins R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S on Facebook. Um don't have a website yet, but it that will come. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Susie. It's been a pleasure. Bless you, Kirsten. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.